Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 49 of the Print Design Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Hopkins, and thanks for hanging out here with me. Got another fantastic episode here for you about another great print project. But before I introduce today's guest, I have to say I'm sorry. My microphone was having some troubles. I got a new microphone. We're all fixed and sorted now. But there's three or four episodes coming up here where the audio is not as great as it usually is. So I wanted to just call that out so you're not wondering, like, what is the deal? And I wanted to say sorry. So you'll hear that in this episode. My audio is a little bit more muffled than it usually is. Um, I ended up having to, like, plug in the old, like, actual Apple headphones that came with the iPhones, like, for all those years. Um, had to plug it into the back of the iMac and just make do with it there. So yeah, sorry about that. But it's all sorted from from here on out. So you, there's just a couple of episodes and this is one of them. But the content is amazing. Today on the show, my guest is Jason Mannix from Polygraph. He's a graphic designer in Washington, D.C. And the project that we are doing a deep dive on here in this episode is the Smithsonian Institute annual report. This is, again, one of the first um, guests that I came in contact with from the Communication Arts annual uh, awards. So I bought this while I was on holidays. I've talked about it a couple times on the show. And I flipped through this, and it was full of amazing designers doing incredible print and winning awards and being recognized for this print. So I reached out to a number of them, and Jason here was one of the first ones that I was able to connect with. And you'll hear more in future weeks and future episodes. Um, and the project that was featured in this Communication Arts Annual issue was this Smithsonian Annual Report. And it just looked great from the design. Like, it's the Smithsonian. So the history that they have, the, the information that they have, um, it's just immense and incredible. And we get into talking about how do you condense all of that knowledge that they have into an annual report and how do you report on that and report on what would be meaningful to the recipient of that annual report. So we dive into that issue. We also talk about another great print project that they were a part of producing for the paper and packaging board. Um, it was from a few years ago, but it is so cool the way that they incorporated, I mean, it sounds weird, they incorporated the materials into the actual print piece, but it'll make sense while we're talking about it. You know, it's kind of like, it's meta, it's very meta, like using paper and packaging to talk about paper and packaging, you know, right? Anyways, that's enough jabbering on from me. Um, let's get into this episode. It is a, it's just so good. There's so much information here about print, but also Jason's story and what, uh, what he's done and what he's been through. So, and as usual, I will put photos of the projects that we are talking about over on the Print Design Academy Instagram. That's print design underscore academy. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, let's hit that intro. Welcome to the Print Design Podcast, the show where we talk about all things print and packaging. We go behind the scenes with designers and talk about the print projects they designed that really rocked their world. From file prep to holding the finished product in their hand and all the key decisions in between. So let's talk ink on paper. Jason, welcome to the Print Design Podcast. How are you, sir? Thank you, Dave. Uh, it's great. Great to be here. Awesome. I appreciate it. Now, so now in the in the world of audio magic, we've got this nice <laughs> clean cut, this clean edit, and you know, it's like there wasn't 20 minutes of figuring out tech behind. Nobody it. will ever know. Nobody. Nobody will oh, I just brought it up. <laughs> awesome. Well, Jason, I want to kick this off with what I really believe is the toughest question here, and that's tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, this is always a kind of a goofy question because I don't know exactly where to start. But my name is Jason Mannix. Um, I'm a, a graphic designer in Washington, D.C. I, I started a studio with my wife and uh, best friend uh, about 10 years ago called Polygraph. Uh, and we specialize in, in branding and print uh, here in, in, on the East Coast in the United States. Um, before that, uh, I was in New York uh, working for my 20s. Uh, had the opportunity to move to Germany to design a typeface. 
Uh, and it was there that we kind of realized, Lindsay, my wife and I, that we wanted to kind of come back to the States and, and, and do our own thing. Uh, and we were kind of ready to move past New York. Uh, and Gavin, uh, my friend, came over and uh, just so happened to be perfect timing because we wanted to start a company with him. Uh, and so the three of us sat down at Oktoberfest and wrote a business plan uh, in Munich. And, uh, and 10 years later, we're still, uh, still going strong. So you guys are like writing a business plan where you're like cheersing beer crudes across the table and stuff. You know what? how it works out with flights is you basically, you land. I think Gavin landed and uh, it was probably about eight o'clock in the morning uh, on a red eye flight for him. Uh, and I think we went straight there. I think it was uh, nine o'clock. We were in, in the beer hall, uh, just kind of ready to go. Uh, so it was, it was, it was a long day. It was a long You're day. just soaking up culture, Jason. It's just culture. You, you <laughs> that's <become right>. cultured. <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. Uh, it was surprisingly fruitful, actually. I think we we were all we're all three very like minded folks, and I think uh -huh. we're we're passionate about different things. Um, but but we have this this great sort of innate sense of 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 maybe the poetry behind design, and I think that uh -huh. that's kind of that that drives us. Uh, and so to, yeah, to kind of sit there at that table and, and feel like, you know, you have these kindred spirits and, and you're trying to do something and you have, you know, you have nothing to lose. I think Lindsay and I were coming back to the States. Gavin had a job. He was, uh, he was in a good place, but was ready for something new. Uh -huh. uh, and I think, uh, it just happened to be the right time. Uh, so no clients, uh, no money, a kitchen table. And, uh, that was kind of the start of it. And 10 years later, we're, we're still going strong. I feel like that's where Amazon started. So you must right. be on the same trajectory. Right. I don't think we have that trajectory, uh, but, <laughs> but we're doing okay. Awesome. Awesome. Um, what is your earliest memory of print or packaging? Something maybe from your childhood or your teens? Oh, man. Uh, you know, I think I... I always, I always liked books. I, I don't know. There's something about, about books, like having, mm -hmm. having them in your life. I think... Um, uh, my wife Lindsay and I, we can, and Gavin too. Actually, we talk about Mad Magazine. I don't know if that was something you ever yes, grew up with, but a hundred percent. You know, like this just beautiful, this beautiful magazine where these caricatures are just incredible, and the storytelling is hilarious, and the satire is really funny. And as a kid, you're not necessarily even paying attention to that. You're just looking at um, how ridiculous some of these characters are. Mm -hmm. But they had this thing at the end, and I'm sure I'm, I'm no, I'm not the only person who's ever talked about this, but it's called the um, the Mad. Fold is that in, the fold-over thing? Yes. Yes. And it folds yes. in, and you get this just wonderful moment of delight at the end of each issue, where you're sort of paying off, you know, this illustration, and you're paying off to create something new. And it's a single, it's a folded piece of paper, uh, and there's something just so delightful about it. It's the thing that you flip to, you know, you kind mm -hmm. of you want to get there immediately when you get the issue. Um, so that that immediately comes to mind, maybe from a a, a, a graphic sort of standpoint. And I think. Um, I think the other thing is just I, I got this really cheesy magic book when I was like 10 years old. Like, I mean, I'm talking really cheesy. It was a complete course in magic in this like tome of a book. Um, and it's I don't know if you've ever tried to learn anything like magic from a book, but it is really hard to actually like understand concepts um, from really flat 2D illustrations, right, of, of yeah. sleight of hand. And of course, it's like it's in your hand for one second and then the next illustration, it's not in your hand. And so you have to figure out, you know, where, it, you know, how to actually <laughs> operate that and get those mechanics right. Figure out um, the steps in between. I haven't done that myself, but my son bought a magic kit and he was kind of doing some stuff. And I imagine he ran into the same thing. He just had to make up how it disappeared from his hand. Because it was one of those parenting moments where it's like you see what exactly happened and you still have to go, oh, wow. That's right. That, yes. That's yeah. incredible. <laughs> oh, you're going to be doing that forever, too. It's going to be this oh, constant it's gonna go uh, amazement. And he's going to think he's probably the best magician of all time, I think, which yeah. is which is great. But, of course, now he's got, I'm sure, YouTube and the Internet. Like, There's so many easier ways to learn visual medium, right, um, or the mechanics of something. But like the like the – the sheer process of trying to learn something from a book like that, which obviously people have been doing for hundreds of years, but uh -huh. it just felt as a kid, it felt like I was unraveling, you know, this mystery or this kind of, this kind of secret world. And it was all contained in this book that was very hard to understand. <laughs> uh, but I loved it. I thought it was, I thought it was great. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's no wonder that books are outselling all types of digital books and eBooks and things like that. Um, consistently every year, no change, always exceeding it. It's unreal, right? There's something about wanting that 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 tactility or that memory or that that be that able to kind of just reference on your own terms uh, and kind of get back mm -hmm. to a, a point. 
um, yeah, they're they're invaluable. Yeah, but you know, eventually, I imagine we'll all just go put our goggles on and go to the metaverse, and we'll go <laughs> into the metaverse bookstore, and we'll we'll pull our virtual books off the shelf, and we'll read our virtual books. And well, that, I think uh, that sounds um, horrifying, uh, but uh, but not unlikely. So uh, <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> We can all get now, the print what, techniques that we want uh, virtually. I think that'll be that's that'll be right, nice right? Advantage. How are you going to get that embossed though? How are you going to? I don't know. <laughs> that's right. Somehow, somehow, it'll be tap uh, tactic or taptic taptic feedback gloves or something. You know, as you're running up, oh, feel those letters. Very nice. Yes, absolutely. Something like that. Um, what about recently, Jason? Have you had any recent um, interactions with print packaging or direct mail that surprised you, or or something that you you thought was unique? Oh, you know. Um, Maybe this is in in the context of a, a a bigger conversation. Just I got to travel recently, and it's it's been mm -hmm. a long time, uh, you know, since I've been able to do that. I have, I have two young kids. Uh, we were going to my wife's sister's wedding, which had been delayed a year because of the pandemic. So we flew to California, mm -hmm. and I think just the just the experience of traveling again and and being a traveler and and being an observer of. Um, you know, art in the world, things in the world, things that are not in your normal everyday, like that just felt amazing. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so I think what comes to mind is um, some of the packaging that I saw, you know, I think I've gotten so used to being in my grocery store, uh, you know, and kind of seeing the same products over and over for the past past two years that that being in a different place with different products with different packaging, um, it just felt it, it felt so lovely, uh, I think, to kind of mm -hmm. like walk through those aisles and see those things. Um, I came across, I, I, you might appreciate this, I think, given some of the craft beer stuff that I've been seeing, uh, I came across this really fun craft beer packaging for a, a, a beer called uh, Hanabi Lager. I think, okay. um, and and the story behind it's great. It's this it's this winemaker. So this was in in wine country in California, uh, and this guy's you know a legit wonderful winemaker. And as a passion project on the side, he really wanted to spend some time like creating these handcrafted lagers, really simple beers, uh, in that kind of traditional style, and really sourcing mm -hmm. great ingredients. Uh, and, and Hanabi, the name is from uh, Japanese fireworks, fire flowers, I think is the translation, right? Okay. And I think this guy has this like skill set where he knows how to make fireworks, which is just, uh, you know, in his biography, which is great. Um, but the packaging is just these beautiful old, um, you know, uh, uh, printed cards from, um, from Japanese fireworks, these old illustrations from the 1800s that are just these lovely versions of these kind of exploding flowers, uh, beautiful, soft kind of muted color palette. Uh, it just, it just looks, looks great. Really kind of graphic modern. Uh, and the beer is really fantastic. I really want to see if I can find a picture of that. How do you spell that? Uh, Hanabi, H-A-N-A-B-I. Hanabi lager. Hanabi lager. There it is. Okay, super cool. And I think it, yeah. I think it says something. It's like this guy, you know, he has a day job. I mean, this is obviously part of his day job, but the idea of trying to 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 work on a different version of his craft and kind of yeah. produce this on the side. Yeah. Um, you know, what a what a fun what a fun adventure in craft and expertise. Yeah. So anybody listening, take take a second and go um, Google Hanabi uh, Logger H A N A B I. And just go to like Google Images, and you can see it's very yeah vintage firework um, illustrations. Yeah, this might be the right word. But yeah, that's really cool. That looks really nice. Yeah, love those. Okay, those are so cool. Um, so I've interviewed two hundred and probably nearly three hundred different graphic designers um, so far between a couple of different podcasts, and one of the consistent themes that always comes up is that they all each kind of have a little collection of print stuff or packaging stuff or, or things that they've come across that they just can't can't bring themselves to put in the recycling bin or or to toss after taking the product out. And that there's just this love for print and packaging design. Why do you think that is? Why do you think print is so special to designers? Whether they design for it or not, they have a little collection. I know. I think um I think it's I think there's just some fundamental, you know, human <laughs> uh human quality there, right? Like I think uh -huh. 
not not necessarily that we're all collectors that that we need to be, but there's there's something so so tactile uh, and and evocative about about print. Um, you know, I think it I think it, it it harkens back to memory too, right? It's like you, you know these are experiences. I think there's something really personal about um, you know the the books that we choose to read, the books that we choose to buy and, and keep. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for for me, I think I am in, in that in that camp of those hundreds of designers where, you know, it, it's about um, inspiration and, and sort of influence and, um, you know, print as a, as a technology. Obviously, it's been around for so long, and it's yeah. you know, there's a certain constraint there that's really lovely and poetic, uh, and to see how how different people work within that constraint, I think is is just beautiful. Uh, whether that's you know through production. Um, through concept, uh, through through format, um, you know, these are the things that that we notice as designers, and 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 it jumps kind of off the shelf, you know, to us. Um, and so, yeah, I think, yeah, we do. We have a collection of of other printed matter, and it, it kind of runs the gamut. It's it's packaging, you know, on the one hand, it's it's random paper samples, it's stuff you find, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in these antique shops, you know, and you know, in Europe, as you're kind of walking around this book that's just been sitting on a shelf for seventy years, uh, and it just kind of speaks to you. Um, and, and that's not to say you're going to reference it every day, but just to kind of have it in your life, I think, is something to kind of come back to. Um, yeah, I think those things. I think those things are important. Yeah, hundred percent. And I like the word that you use there, constraint, because when you, I think some of the most creative print design, and ultimately any kind of design, really, is when you have those constraints. It's not this is the goal that we're trying to accomplish. Go do something, make it look good. Um, but you get this design constraint where you know we're going to print this twelve-page catalog, and we're only going to use two colors but we're going to have some photos and things in there. So you're going to have to make it all work with two colors. That almost gives you, I, I would feel more creativity than, you know, having no restrictions, being able to use any color you want. Yeah, you're, you're totally right. I think, um, you know, we do a lot of brand work too. And I think, you know, we're, we're such preachers for brands kind of using their brands and, and not mm-hmm. kind of derivating from their own brands. Um, because there is, there's such beauty in those limitations in, in, mm-hmm. in having those typefaces and keeping them consistent. I think um, if, if a criticism that something's boring because it's, you're doing it over, maybe you're just not, you're not using it in the right way or you're not, you're not kind mm-hmm. of bringing a, a freshness to it. I think I'm 100% with you. I think constraint is something that helps drive better ideas um, because you're taking some of those other variables out of the equation and you're kind of having to, um, you're having to be creative uh, in, in different terms. And I think, um, yeah, you're exactly right. I think, you know, having something that's two color, I think, yeah, somebody could look at that and, and say, hey, this is this is boring. But uh, another person uh, like myself would say, hey, this is this is really poetic because, you know, you're finding mm-hmm. different ways to use these colors um, to make them interact in different ways, to create duotones, to create gradients, to create, you know, different levels of texture um, just with these two elements, I think. Uh, I don't know. I think there's something really beautiful, beautiful to that. I think I think print offers that in, in so many ways. Yeah, I agree. And, it, and it, I think it stands out, right? Because the amount of times you've seen a brochure or a booklet just, yeah, it's full color and just do do what you would do with full color. And, you know, it is what it is. And But, but seeing something where somebody had that um, creative restraint or creative um, – they just couldn't do that. They, had, they were forced to go in a different direction with it, what they were able to do with it. Like that. It's just really unique to see it. I think it stands out more. Yeah, yeah, you're totally right. I think um, you know, a lot of our work is concept-driven, and, and w- within those concepts, we always try to think about you know, production at the front end of that conversation so that we can um, kind of pull pull the clients on board um, through that journey with us. Uh, and And so a lot of times, you know, you, you'll want to spec the really nice thing. And sometimes sometimes that's not able to happen. And so you've got to kind of recalibrate and sort of refocus without losing sight of that bigger idea of the concept. You've got to keep the concept intact, um, but know that there has to be flux and some give and take. Um, and yeah, those are just, I think that's where we have we have the most fun is when we, we get the limitations and we have to try to make something sing um, w- within those limitations. So when you're making something sing like that within those limitations, how often or how much does um, materials play into that? Um, yeah, that's a that's a great that's a great question. I think you know fundamentally we start with format. Um, you know we start with 
you know, what is this, what is, what are we trying to communicate with this print piece, right? What, mm-hmm. are, what, you know, it's a, it's visual communication. What are we trying to show? What are we trying to say? How are we trying to, uh, how are we trying to, um, partner with the content, right? To make sure that the content is coming through. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for us, materiality has, has so much to do with the content. Um, you know, we did an annual report for uh, the National Bonsai Foundation here uh, in DC. And so bonsai is this beautiful Japanese art, right? Um, and so what, what's going to make that thing? We didn't want to do shiny, you know, thick, kind of glossy paper. This wasn't, you know, magazine style to us. This was very much um, uncoded, simple, two-color, mm-hmm. uh, really wanting it to be muted and soft and to let these trees kind of tell tell the story of, of this year. Uh, and then and then we did spice it up a little bit and we had this like nice little insert um, of coded stock in order to let these beautiful, rich, really mm-hmm. deep photographs of the trees shine. Um, but if the whole book was like that, it wouldn't feel special, right? You're right. You're right. No, that's a good point. You almost have the majority of the materials are, you know, and, and process that you use to create that piece is speaking to almost the, the, the simplicity yet complexity. It's kind of like this, this merge of the two um, in something in that kind of art form like that. But then in the middle, you've got this, this almost this pop of color piece. Um, where you're getting photos and gloss and things just like really jumping to life. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. When materiality can help um, elevate the concept, um, you're golden. I think that's that's the sweet spot where you can use production. Um, you know, you never want to make something gaudy. You never want to 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 use a a special just to use a special. Like mm-hmm. it should have it should have a purpose and it should it, it should help drive um, drive something poetic about the concept. Yeah, foil stamp six colors. Let's die cut it, and don't forget the laser cutting. That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All of that stuff. Um, That's right. I want to kick this back in time a little bit here, Jason, and yeah. ask you about the very first print project that you were ever a part of. What was that? What did you produce? What did you make? Um, oh man. Uh, so. I think I'll, I'll take it all the way back to to college. I think yeah. um, so. You know, as students, you're kind of you're 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 learning your sponges. You're trying to understand the world, but but graphic design in school is is a really different thing. Um, I, I I fundamentally believe that that design is a trade. I learned so much more, um, you know, at my first job in terms of like being a practical designer. Um, mm-hmm. But in school, uh, I had the opportunity to to study abroad uh, in in Austria in Vienna. It was this modern architecture class. And there was about 20 of us there, and we were documenting um, documenting this whole experience. And the goal of it was to produce a book by the end of it. Um, my wife, my future wife, Lindsay, was also on the trip. Uh, so we kind of got back. We all had these sketchbooks. This was uh, kind of just around the cusp of digital photography. So we all had, um, you know, film cameras, and we had to sort through all these films, uh, all, all this film, and we had to edit um, all of these, all of these sketches, and try and create this book. And it was twenty of us, and it sort of, sort of, kind of filtered down till it was eventually just the two of us, uh, Lindsay and I, kind of working through this project. Um, and to kind of bring that to life uh, as as editors, as kind of co-editors, you know, in um, you know trying to, to design a book that our, our fellow students would be proud of, a kind of a portfolio piece for all of us. Uh, I think we felt the weight of that. Um, but it was such a, it, it was an amazing opportunity to learn the process of, of design and, and at, a, at a very young age sort of um, appreciate, you know, what, what pre-press can be. Um, and, and so we, at the end of this, you know, we, we got to go on press. We had this book produced. It was a small, you know, perfect bound piece that was sort of the, the crown gem of my, uh, of my college portfolio. And looking back, it's total crap, right? It is, it is like the worst <laughs> design you've ever seen. Um, I think there's so much to be, you know, mortified by it. And I think, I think that's kind of the beauty of it. It's like, this is the thing that I was the most proud of in my life, uh, as a designer at that point. Um, and, and you can, you only, you, you grow and you grow and you grow. And, and I look back and, um, you know, sure, it's it's a little bit silly, um, but I'm so proud of this thing that that uh, that I had in my portfolio that was real, that was printed and kind of brought to life, mm-hmm. uh, and it was able to get my foot in the door at, at 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 some great studios. That's great, and that speaks to like the power of of making a thing. Right, right. It doesn't have to be the most beautiful award winning thing, although you're raking in awards now. But <laughs> it doesn't have to be the most beautiful, you know, groundbreaking design thing. 
that uh, that you print and produce to hold in your hand. Just the act of taking it from all of that initial design and layout and um, and pre-press work initially to a tangible object in in itself is just a, a sort of a beautiful process. Yeah, and our professor had the foresight too, right? To uh, it wasn't the first time he had done this, um, mm-hmm. and so this became this. It was not only a rallying cry for the students to kind of work on something together, um, but it was also it became a marketing piece for him to be able to go to new studios in Vienna and show the the previous year's book and mm-hmm. say, "Hey, this is what we're doing. This is what we're interested in." Uh, so we got these other studios on board with, "Hey, these 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 kids are taking it seriously, and they really want to get something out of uh, out of these conversations and this experience, mm-hmm. um, and have that founded, you know, in a printed piece and, and documented." Um, yeah, it was a win win. That's cool. Do you still have a copy of that? I do. Uh, it's on my bookshelf at, at home. I don't think I have one here. <laughs> no, it's all good. Just did you, 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 you refer back to it, flip through it every now and then? I have not looked at it in a while, but maybe I'll, uh, maybe I'll have to check it out now. And, okay, and, this is your nudge. This is your nudge to check it out, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, had you ever been a part of a print project that did not turn out as you had hoped? Uh, went oh, sideways, man. didn't go well. Um, can you tell us about that project? Uh, yeah, yes and no. I think um, so. I, maybe I could speak to one that that it, sideways is is hard. I think um, you know. I, thankfully, we we try and do enough planning ahead of time to to sort of mitigate those those awful kind of experiences. Uh-huh. Um, but there's one that comes to mind. We so we we have a, a partner, a client, um, the Paper and Packaging Board, which is uh, it's a program here in the states. It's a kind of a, a collaboration between um, paper mills, uh, paper brands, and uh, and packaging. Uh, and they sort of advocate and, and market um, the idea of paper, you know, here in the states. They have a couple of fun commercials, um, that kind of stuff. So we were working on their brand and 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 then working on their annual report. And it was their first report. It was a small thing. It was probably 16 pages. Um, and we wanted to do something really, really creative with it. And so we decided we wanted to make it like um, like a, a, a swatch book, like a paper swatch book. So it would have short sheets. It would have different types of paper in it, uh, so that each page would kind of feel different. So we designed this thing, and this is this is maybe a conceptual thing, and then we'll, maybe I'll talk about a, a production part of it. Is this um, the um, the craft one that you sent my way? Yes, yes, it is. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, yeah, that's exactly right. So, so this small piece, um, you know, we had a limited amount of content. It was their first year trying to get off the ground and just kind of get, make themselves known. Um, and so we had designed this whole thing in the computer and it just felt really flat. There was something about it that just didn't feel right. And kind of talking about the importance of print and what we all kind of love about print. It's this idea of, of creating, you know, keepsakes and having something that feels human and tactile and, and hand done. Um, that's right. These are the two years. And so I'll, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll kind of get to the point maybe, <laughs> no, no. um, but the first, the first year we had designed this book, this one that you're looking at right there. Um, and the whole thing was designed. It was in the printer, ready to go, and realized it just we weren't proud of it. It wasn't. It wasn't. There was something missing, and so we had this kind of breakthrough moment where we realized, you know, what we have to do is we actually we can't design this. We have to we have to just kind of um, write this. We have to kind of draw this, and so um, so we designed it. That was the first step, and then we went backwards and we redid the whole thing by hand, uh, and so this whole book. We did use a sharpie uh, in small pens, and the whole book was made by hand. So we rescanned all of these, all of these images. We redid all the all of the illustrations, um, where we did illustrations from from the photographs. Uh, and so this whole book is just black ink on these different stocks. Uh, and so we were feeling really proud of ourselves, you know, from a conceptual standpoint. Uh, and and the the client was really psyched about it. And so we were getting it to press. Uh, and we had everything kind of planned out and we realized that as we were putting, you know, ink on paper, it wasn't achieving the, the sort of look that we wanted. Uh, and so the, the printer, you know, really good partner, just kind of trying to, to, to work with, with, with what we could do to kind of improve it. We yeah. actually ended up 
the thing that made it work was Xeroxing it. So we ended up, instead of kind of running this, this through, you know, a, 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 an indigo press or, or running it offset to kind of get this really beautiful finish, the thing that actually made it look the most human and the most hand done was the cheapest version of, <laughs> of throwing this stock into a copy machine and like letting that, letting that be the print run. Mm -hmm. uh, and it took a little, it took a little conversation, but we were able to kind of get it to work. And so the final piece feels so much more, um, more human, more like, like somebody just kind of wrote, wrote this book in one take. Um, and so the rest of the production was able to kind of come together with that tape bind in those short sheets to sort of mimic that, that paper swatch book. That's cool. So that was the first year. And the second one that, that you're showing, you know, we were obviously giving a lot of leverage to paper that year. And so packaging was wanting to have a little bit louder of a voice. So trying to up the ante, we decided, okay, what if we just do uh, a corrugated cardboard box and that's the annual report? Uh, how, do we, how can we do this? How can we put all the content on the box of the package itself? The, un the unveiling of the package is the experience of, of reading this annual report. Mm -hmm. um, and so you can imagine we had to get you know, a, custom, a custom box, um, or a custom material. We had to get the right thickness so that would fold and mail well. Uh, we had to partner with uh, some screen printers that could actually lay this down for us in a way. We had to do um, custom inks in order to get the right opacity to be able to print correctly on the substrate. So this was mm -hmm. uh, trial and error from start to finish, and it was incredibly laborious for everybody involved. Um, but the takeaway to have something that I think for us feels kind of instantly poetic um, and, and delightful as an experience um, when you're when you have a desk full of annual reports and you get this box in the mail and all you have to do is open it and there it is. Um, for, all, for us, that felt like a, a real win. Yeah, and looking at this design here, and I'll share some of these images on uh, Instagram when this episode goes up so that people can actually see this while we're talking about it here. Um, to get some of the, the screen values and images that you're putting on here, it's extremely difficult to achieve that with, like, with a flexographic print method like a traditional cardboard box print would be. Um, so yeah, I was wondering how you produced that, but you mentioned you had to go and get that sorted through screen printing. You had to get that done that way. You're exactly right. I think that was our concern with the flexograph. Like we, you know, we, we have that halftone image there, um, yeah. you know, of, of a child and, you know, it's really hard to do halftones in flexograph. It just doesn't, it doesn't lay down the same way. So screen mm -hmm. printing made the most sense from a, um, from a, from a way to kind of get the tones and the images that we that we were trying to do because we were trying to reproduce photographs so we actually needed to do half tones for for some of these things mm -hmm. um, and to find a screen printer that was willing to do that on, on a custom die piece uh, and then have that uh, converted to to a box it was it was a, a big production from start to finish. <laughs> wow! And you just sort of ticked away at it, slowly worked through the process. That's exactly right. And 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 you know, from the client standpoint too, if if, if the whole if the whole point is to advocate for packaging and and the, and the role that packaging can play in our lives, you yeah. know, what better way to, to to deliver that than than through a package and through the experience of of and maybe the heart <laughs> the heartache of actually trying to work through something, um, you know, strategically like that. This is like early unboxing experience here. Right, literally. Right. <laughs> <laughs> literally, that's great, man. That's awesome one. Thank you for sharing that. We'll just move that screen share. So now I want to dive into um, this project that I had reached out to you about. Um, I mentioned to you before we started recording, I was on vacation, picked up this communication arts annual, and was flipping through it, blown away by all of the incredible print design in this piece, and started reaching out to some of these um creatives behind the pieces that really stood out to me. And this annual report for the Smithsonian was one of them, um, hence me reaching out to you and our connection here. Well, thank and you. Um, yeah, you guys did such a great creative job on that. And I, I really wanted to find out the storytelling aspect of it and, and what was sort of the, the thought process behind this and what did the client think? Were they on board and all of that kind of stuff? Um, yeah. I mean, I guess obviously they were on board, but <laughs> so um, we surprised yeah, so, them. We surprised them with a the finished product. Yeah, surprise! Here's your report. Um, yeah, so I want to kick it over to you and just kind of talk us through how this project came to life, how the early conversations were, and then we'll get into some materials and spec stuff. Well, yeah, thank thanks so much for the opportunity to talk about it. This is, um, you know, this this is a dream client of ours and, and a dream project in, in so many ways. So Smithsonian, for for those who don't know. 
um, you know, it's it's this huge organization here in in the states, and they have a kind of a global network of, of things. So there's a handful of museums, uh, a lot of them here in the Washington D.C. area. Um, they're all free. It's this it's this sort of parade of knowledge. Uh, it's it's natural history, uh, it's American history, it's African American history, it's Native American history. Um, uh, there's science scientists uh, across the world who convene and kind of work on all these research projects. Um, the the extent with which this organization, um, you know, the, that they can reach, it's it's unbelievable. And so for us, um, we, we got a call, uh, and they had taken this report in house uh, the, the year before, and they realized that um, while that was successful, I think they were it, it was it was missing something. They wanted to kind of bring it to life uh, in, in a new way. And I think having a new team over there, um, I think when you have a new team, you kind of want to make an impression and you kind of mm -hmm. want to kind of get something off the ground in a new way. So hey, you know, put your stamp on it, right? That's exactly right. And so they reached out to us. We were um, we were really excited to, to start those conversations. And it just felt like um, it, it felt like a, a, a really great relationship, good partnership, good trust from, from the very beginning. So our typically our process is we just like to dive in and get going. And I think for for an annual report, um, so much of it is about concept. It's about that initial idea. Um, it's, you know, fundamentally it's a book for us. So it's about mm -hmm. pacing, it's about format, it's about kind of the structure, uh, how you're gonna engage with the reader over the course of X number of pages. Mm -hmm. uh, and so for us in those early conversations, we were really trying to drive at what what story are we trying to tell? Um, and, and, and how can we tell that in the most interesting, elegant way? Um, this year they had hired a writer to sort of work through and sort of weave this narrative story. And so we had this, this sort of great positioning where we had a narrative base that we could kind of draw from. But fundamentally, this organization is so massive um, and the amount of assets that they have uh, and the amount of people that you could actually connect to is, is so overwhelming mm -hmm. that we really just had to kind of dive in and start exploring for ourselves. Yeah. Um, one of the things that came out immediately was this image um, on the cover. And I think um, I, I covers are obviously so important to, to designers. Um, and, and they're always a, a challenge, right? You wanna find something that's, that is poetic, that kind of can, can symbolize the year, the story that you're trying to tell. Mm -hmm. uh, and that can also be memorable. And this image, I think from the very beginning became the, the sort of rallying cry for, for the book itself. And it, it's rare that something can hit so immediately uh, and with such impact, um, but we were all on board uh, immediately when, when, when this was in the conversation. And, and so what, what, what we have here is it's the first, um, the first documented image of, of a black hole. So this has been yeah. something that scientists have been working on for years. Um, and it, it took Smithsonian's, you know, sort of connection of, of, of telescopes around the world. Uh, the Event Horizon Telescope was actually able to bring this image to life. Uh, and so to celebrate that, we wanted to feature it really prominently and sort of give it that moment on the cover. Uh, and it sort of became this, this intro narrative device for us where we kind of talk about this, this sort of micro you know, idea within the Smithsonian. Um, and, and obviously it has this really macro sense to it too, but this is kind of the starting point for the storytelling where we were able to start connecting to, to other things within the museum, the museums and the research institutes and sort of create these dichotomies throughout the book. Um, and, and so a, a quick example, I think you have this up now, but uh, you know, for us, the front cover is obviously really important. We can, you know, talking about production, you know, for us, we wanted that image to just sing. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, can you do this? Do you, do you have to put the logo on the front? Um, if you do, how can you do it in a way that that doesn't distract from the photo? It doesn't feel like you're necessarily branding this photo in a way that feels um, inauthentic or insincere. So we were able to get them on board with this blind and boss. Big ideas was the theme, uh, the verbal yeah. theme for the book. Um, the book itself is oversized slightly. Um, so you have this, this really large book um, with this blind and boss of big ideas and the Smithsonian uh, annual report kind of typed up, up at the top. Um, 
I really like that look. And it it also looks like you have, um, is there some sort of gloss finish on the text as well? That's exactly right. Yep. So there's, there's a spot gloss on the text and on the text only. Uh, so everything else has this sort of satin finish that feels kind of dusty, like you're kind of looking, you know, at, at space. Um, but you've got this nice kind of gloss moment just on those blind embossed pieces. That's cool. Yeah, that's really nice. We did a test of the emboss, you know, as it was going to to press, and it actually it felt small. Like the words, you know, you 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 can simulate so much, but until you actually know what you're looking at, mm -hmm. um, so we had to make kind of a game day decision, and we bumped up the scale of of those pieces, which you know ultimately I think actually looks looks better, um, and actually makes things a little bit more readable. So, mm -hmm. um, but we were able to keep the blind emboss, which was which was a total win. That's cool. So you have this, this you know, you have a little tactile feel on the front. You've got some matte gloss contrast on the front, um, and you've got this this image, this bold image that you you could just stare at, and um, it almost sucks you in, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> no, there, no pun intended. But no, you're right. I mean, that, and that's a great pun. Um, there's the, <laughs> there's there's something there's something really haunting about it. I think um, yes, I think a lot word. of clients would shy away from something like that. Like, I, I think. I think folks want want to be cheery. Like, there's obviously lots of bright color, you know, in the uh -huh. Smithsonian universe, and they're they're doing so many great fun things. Uh, and this is a really serious, really mysterious uh, kind of moment in that they were willing um, to sort of feature this so prominently and and have the reverence for it as an idea, not of, of science, but as an idea of of art and art direction. Um, it just felt. I think we were all we were all really proud that we were able to get this produced. Yeah. Yeah, that looks really sharp. So from this sort of main bold cover image, like what was the initial uh, sort of narrative and story that you were looking to walk people through getting this? Yeah, I think fundamentally it's about, um, you know, connections uh, because you have these really disparate aspects of the organizations and a lot of them don't talk to each other. They're kind of all in their own silos, their own doing their own things. Um, so we were trying to create these kind of soft connections between things. You know, books are so great because they are this, you know, they, or they can be anyway, this sort of binary experience of left side, right side, and you can mm -hmm. compare these two things together. Um, and so we, we love that idea of, of creating duality and creating either tension or, or visual play uh, and poetry between you know, two images that are either really different uh, or, or really similar in some ways um, and, and trying to create a conversation between what you're looking at and the page. So we did these heavy captions where we're showing images, we're showing big kind of bold, simple ideas on each page. We're not trying to overwhelm the viewer. We're letting that narrative text um, kind of run as a thread throughout this front section. But we're also kind of doing these heavy captions where you can get a deeper dive into some of these content pieces that you're looking at. Um, and so you can get a little bit more understanding of, of the artifacts that we're, we're choosing to show. Yeah, I mean, I love history stuff. And like immediately I'm sucked into this and I want to just <laughs> read everything. Yeah, and, and I think that's that's our goal. I think we we sort of, sort of approach this project, and and we try to with with all of our clients, you know, with a sense of of wonder. You know, we want to we want to understand them uh, in in every way that we can. And I think they they gave us the keys to really kind of explore and kind of peek behind the curtain at, at so many aspects of of what they're doing. Mm -hmm. um, and it was just we we felt like kids, you know, playing and finding all these amazing assets, um, and 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 trying to build. Uh, connections between you know disparate disparate images, different ideas. You know, it's it's history, like you're saying, on the one hand, but it's also things that are really relevant. It's it's the zeitgeist of, of this moment. You know, it's 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 science versus art in a lot of ways. Like it's it's technology versus um, you know this very analog thing of, of being a book. There's this one page you actually have it uh, up right now. It's sort of the divide between the front section and the back section. So the back section, you know, of most annual reports is a lot of financial disclosing. Um, it's kind of the more serious stuff. For In Smithsonian's case, it's, it's a lot of the donor recognition as well as those financials. Um, and so we wanted to make this kind of fundamental break between this front narrative section and, and the back section. And we were able to achieve that with a paper shift 
So the front section is all kind of glossy coated. Okay. Uh, and then this back section switches to this really nice, really tactile, uncoated stock. Uh, and this cool. break page between it is this one moment of custom photography that we were able to do. And we wanted to kind of capture a moment in time of, of one of these museums. So we, 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 we pitched this idea of doing a photo shoot with this great photographer uh, who we love working with in town, Stephen Voss. Um, and we said, hey, let's camp out in front of a museum one day and let's just see, uh, let's see who comes in. Let's see who, the, who these people are. So um, we wanted to kind of get this cross section of, of tourists coming into this space. Um, and of course, everybody had to sign NDAs and, and yeah. or, or, you know, permission slips. And uh, but it was great to sort of camp out. And we had this all planned. Uh, and, and this is in February of 2020. So just before pandemic so it was early March, uh, concept gets approved and we're kind of working through it and we realize, hey, this might not happen. Um, we we're actually able to pull this photo shoot together on March 12th, um, like overnight basically. And then the museums closed either the next day or the day after. Um, wow. so, so we were able to get this shoot in. It definitely would not have been able to happen had it not been for you know, Stephen's ability to be flexible, um, uh -huh. for Smithsonian's ability to kind of wrangle this together, you know, very quickly and, and sort of spontaneously uh, and to kind of understand or recognize the need that, hey, this is a moment that we're, that we're losing uh, and that we might not have again. And so this, you know, not only as a transition from, you know, the front and the back of this book, this was very definitively like the last time that, that people were in these these spaces that are fundamentally open to the public it's fundamentally about sharing knowledge and, and experiencing mm -hmm. these artifacts um and it just felt it felt really timely and and we were so thankful to be able to to get it in there yeah and sort of the the poetry and the symmetry of being able or uh maybe symmetry is not the right word but the just being able to show this and have that as a moment in time where you know literally the next day or two like this wouldn't have happened that's exactly right. And I think, um, you know, flash forward a little bit and, you know, we worked on the, the following years, uh, this past year's annual report for Smithsonian too. And the storytelling there is, is so different. We obviously don't have to go into it, but, you know, how do you tell the story of, of this huge institution that's also been locked down in the way that everything else has been locked down? Yeah. Like how do you show that it's still active and, and still engaging and still, you know, all the things that they've had to adjust to, you know, how do you show that in a book and try and tell that story as a follow-up to, to, this, to this year? Totally. So, so in this 2019 edition, the beginning of it, um, it's almost built as a a reminder of the scale and importance of the work that they're doing here, and the work that you know you as a recipient of this piece, you were a supporter of somehow or some kind. So you're being reminded of the importance um, of the work that we're doing and the work that you have helped contribute to before getting into sort of the, the legalese stuff and, and the financial stuff and, and how um, the donors were able to help. That's, that's exactly right. And I think um, it's about kind of sh highlighting a couple things. I think what's great about them as a client uh, and sort of the, the trust that, that we have in each other is this, this notion that, you know, you don't have to show everything all the mm -hmm. time, right? I think, I think it's in client's nature to want to overdo it and to say too much and to show too much and to cram the page with so many things, but to be able to give white space. I mean, this is, these are, this is an institution that has millions and millions of things, right? Mm -hmm. um, and to be able to show one thing on a page, um, that alone is a design victory, but to have the trust that we can show one thing and we can engage with the audience um, without having to hit them over the head with, the millions of things that we have, I think it speaks to um, to the confidence that that they have um, in their storytelling and and in and in design in general. And I think it's mm -hmm. it's it's really refreshing. So how did you how did you narrow down what you were going to highlight and show in the front half of this of this piece? Because, like we've said a few times, you know the size of this organization and the things that they they have to share, the people that you can connect with to get stories from, like. How do you narrow it down? Yeah, I think for us it was um, it was this combination of just doing a lot of research, just kind of mm -hmm. diving in, trying to find those stories, those anecdotes, those kind of poetic moments that whether we knew that they could you know 
cross pollinate with something else. We we did it. We just started cataloging cataloging things and starting to figure out what's what's going to help shape this story in some interesting ways. Uh, and then it was about kind of narrowing down. You know, we didn't want color to necessarily repeat. We we wanted there to be. Um, you know, context for particular things. So, you know, we have, you know, a piece from the 1800s. We wanted to pair that with something that's that's really fresh and really contemporary. And mm -hmm. so it kind of informed what we started looking for in, in some ways. But you're right. There's so many things that we couldn't include in this. But but poetically, some of the things, some of the very early things that we showed in our initial concept meeting end up making it, you know, to the, to the, the final, final print book. Oh. I think it's a testament to just some of the, the wonder you know, and, and maybe the reverence that, that we have certainly for these objects as outsiders um, and, and, and the objects themselves for just having, um, having such stories in and of themselves. <laughs> Love it. Love that. I couldn't even imagine, you know, seeing the overwhelming amount of stuff that you could put in and trying to sort of narrow it down to what's most important without getting, getting too biased of your own you know, personal interests and, and things like that. But that's, I really like the way that you've brought this together. Right. And there's audiences on their part too, right? Like they've yeah. got to sort of cater to all those institutions. Everybody sort of wants, um, wants to be represented and you can understand why, um, but it's hard. It's hard to do that. Yeah. Um, and it's hard to do that consistently for, for everyone. So it's, it, it was a balancing act, but one that we were, uh, we we're happy to do. Mm -hmm. So was this printed locally to you? Like, were you, talk to me a little bit about the like proofing and possible press checks and things like that. Yeah, so we have a, a network of printers that, that we, we tend to work with uh, repeatedly. One of them is, is pretty close in town here, uh, just outside the city. Uh, and, and I think they're great advocates, uh, you know, for not only our design concepts, but, but really trying to, to, to experiment and sort of see where we can push, push some ideas. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, for them, obviously, they're, they're trying to run this, you know, as smoothly as possible. And we've got lots of, of variables and kind of things changing, but it was, it was a really smooth ride. And I think because we knew each other uh, and we kind of knew what we, they knew us and they knew maybe how finicky we can be uh, about the particulars, um, it, it makes a difference that they can be prepared for that. Uh, and also things, you know, we have a, a good enough relationship with them that we can share knowledge. Um, Maybe a good a good example of that is there's some you know black and white um, photographs you know in the book and um, you know typically we've had problems on press where you know if you do you know black and white obviously it maybe produces a little bit dull and if you do you know four color black and whites um, you know the way that we were doing them before is you know we, if we needed to change a color on press you know it would actually affect that that cast on those black and whites in ways mm -hmm. that were so frustrating for us as we were working with archival material in the past and so you know they worked out internally they worked out some curves that they had had wanted to sort of um, share with us and we mm -hmm. kind of sat down and had this great sort of tutorial and exchange where they kind of walked us through the best way to pre-press. I mean, we're, we're a small studio here. We've got some pre-press chops based on years of failure and experimentation and our own kind of workarounds for things. But to be able uh -huh. to have um, a retoucher just kind of sit down and say, hey, this is why this is, this is going you know, the wrong way. This is the best way to mitigate that so that we have this prepared before it goes to press. Uh, it made all the difference in the world. So we have these rich four color black and whites um, that are so dense and so lovely, um, but that they don't, they don't flux when, when they're on press. It, made, it was really, really beautiful to see. Yeah, that's a big thing that a lot of um, you know, designers who are new to print are unfamiliar with it. Uh, can you know just don't quite understand is that depending on what else you have on that big press sheet that you're printing all these pages on you know if you if the image in front has a whole bunch of red well it's going to pull the warmth out of your cmyk black your process black so your the hue of that black can actually fluctuate throughout the piece if you don't really pay attention to it and really get ahead of it that's exactly right. And then, and, and to find that out, you know, on press is the worst thing in the world. You would never, <laughs> want, that. To find you would never want that right when there's so little that you could do to change it. So I think, mm -hmm. you know, this idea that we all have knowledge, we all have our own, our, our own um, expertise, right. Mm -hmm. uh, and that, that we were able to kind of um, work with each other and, and share some of that. I don't think it happens often enough from, from a production standpoint. Um, but when it does, it makes all the difference in the world. Yeah. No, it really does. Yeah, I've had a couple of projects that really, as soon as you see sort of the rough draft design, you're like, okay, okay, we need to start crafting these pages in this way. And I've had a couple of them where 
um, it was this gray background uh-huh. and it was a hand holding a product. And that was their introduction to each section of okay. that piece. So you've got all the shadows on the hand and the way it was lit for the photography. But we found that each hand, sh- each hand shot holding a product needed to be controlled on press independently. Oh man. So we ended up do, taking each of those pages and doing um, two different plates, two separate blacks, one for the background, one for the hand and the foreground and uh, the shadows and areas. So nice. that way you can really play with it independently to ensure that they match consistently throughout the piece. So just finding these ways and really the relationship with your printer and prepress is going to be huge with that when you're trying to achieve these things um, where they can help walk you through the best ways to do it ahead of time. So you're not at the press check wondering why you're all these all over the place. That's exactly right. And, and bringing them into the conversation early, mm-hmm. um, you know, we've, we've had projects where they're in, you know, at the concept phase so that we can understand not only what something might cost and how that might be either prohibitive or um, how we might need to rethink an idea, but, but just to kind of get their, them to weigh in on, hey, what might be the, the better way to do this or the, yeah. the simpler way to do this, or even sort of blocking out signatures, you know, I and mean, that's something that, um, you know, like knowing how something is going to be bound, you know, could really help influence where you might um, want to inject a little bit of delight or how you might be able to think about something um, differently rather than just, you know, flipping, thumbing through it. Yeah, totally. That's like booklet design, like 301. That's like the advanced booklet design when you're into the, the signature counts and stuff. And it becomes increasingly important when you're, you know, using two different papers within the same book, because the mo- there's a cost effective way to, to do that and utilize that effect. But there's yeah. a way where it just becomes insanely expensive, where you're not processing these pieces as full signatures. You're starting to use individual pages, and it just it blows the cost out like crazy. That's totally right. Yeah, it's nuts. <laughs> so talk to me a little bit about the sort of end result of this piece. You go through this process. You're working with the client going through this process. You're working through the printer to create this thing. When you finally get that piece in your hand and the customer gets it in their hand, what what is that moment like, and what's the feedback from the recipients of this piece? Yeah, I think uh, maybe that's a bigger that's a bigger moment to talk about. Yeah, print print as a thing, right? I think as designers, we have. Um, it, I, I don't know if our studio is normal or not. It's it's hard to tell <laughs> anymore. But but this idea that I, it, it's hard to celebrate your work. You're constantly kind of going from one thing to the next. You know, we've uh-huh. constantly got you know, multiple projects at different phases going on at any one time. So um, to be able to have a printed piece, like actually, you know, to, to receive it and to spend those moments um, kind of enjoying in it, I think it, it is, it's that weird, um, it's that weird celebratory moment of like, okay, we brought this thing to life and here it is. And I don't think people, I don't think designers um, get to revel in that enough. I'm not saying you should spend, you know, <laughs> a happy hour doing it, but like, but actually just, just appreciating what it, what it took to make something, you know, to, to bring it to life from start to finish. Um, I think, yeah, we, we did. We, we really celebrated this. Um, the client was, was very pleased. I think this went out to roughly 15,000 folks, um, you know, which was a a pretty good size run. Uh Uh, And, you know, they were getting really positive feedback. You know, we talked about earlier, like this is primarily a donor centric book. This doesn't necessarily need to be produced, but it's something that, um, it's something to sort of show the breadth uh, and the range of this organization and to get feedback, to get handwritten notes from donors saying, you know, that this is beautiful and, and what a what a lovely job, um, you know, you've done uh, is, is great for them. Um, we've gotten feedback from designers that we admire, uh, that we put on pedestals, uh, and, and we've gotten handwritten notes from them about, you know, the, this work and it's like that feels obviously really gratifying uh, and really fulfilling too that it's um, that it is being seen and that that people um, are taking the time to to appreciate it and to let you know that they appreciate it. I think um, yeah, it's 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 been a, a great reception. That's awesome and yeah, that goes a long way to sort of you're right how you're you're working through these projects and then you hand it off to the printer, you do the press check portion, and then you're back in the office working on the next thing. Yeah, and you just keep working through. So when you actually finally get a finished copy in your hand, you know you might not have touched it for three, four weeks, and then you're kind of brought back to this moment. Um, and is that moment exciting, or is it like sheer panic? <laughs> wait, wait, say that again, Dave. Is, is the moment of getting back into another project, or getting back into this project? Sorry, no. Just a- after being hands off of this one for a while, while the production is going on, when you finally get that finished piece in your hand. 
is, is that a moment of, of fear or is that a moment of excitement? Is it? It's both. Um, I think fear only in the sense that, you know, you proofread the heck out of something. And then when yeah. you have that final thing, yeah. you're like, I just want to make sure that there's absolutely nothing that anybody else is going to notice. Um, yeah. But it's, 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 it's definitely joy. I think, um, I think when you, when you start off with a concept, right. Um, mm -hmm. and, and you're able to sort of bring that to life and see that to fruition, uh, and to know everything that went into, to bringing it to life and yeah. to actually have it in your hands and to be able to flip through it and to put it on the shelf. Um, no, it, it, it feels, it feels great. It's, it's honestly, it, it kind of makes, it's what makes it worthwhile. You know, it, it's what yeah. makes it, um, I don't know. It, it's, it's the joy I think of, of being a, a print designer is actually having that physical thing in your hand. Yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty special feeling. So from your very first conversation about what this is going to be to holding that finished copy in your hand, what does that timeline look like? Yeah. Um, for this one, it was probably, I think from, from initial conversation to concept to, you know, getting the guts going, it was probably about uh, three to four months. And then yeah. I think just based on the pandemic, it was probably another two uh, to sort of get things into production slowly, kind of wrap up loose ends, um, trying to connect with folks just, just because of the, the uncertainty that was, that was happening at that time. So probably six months mm -hmm. uh, on the whole. Yeah. Yeah. That's not for a piece this size with this sort of detail and history and, and things you're pulling together for. That doesn't sound unreasonable at all. Yeah. And in fact, um, you know, I think in terms of the postmortem from it, it allow us to start the next year even earlier. So we could kind of get in on the ground floor concepting, obviously going back to that treasure trove of, of artifacts and inspiration yeah. um, and really trying to build that concept that we could we could we could take our time with together a little bit more yeah. uh, and just give ourselves the runway to, to be to be more creative. Yeah, definitely. Um, so what advice would you give a designer who is excited about print, likes print, and really wants to get started with it, but just hasn't hasn't started there or doesn't know where to start yet. What advice would you give them? Yeah, I think um, uh, I think so. So I was an English major in school, uh, and design was sort of this like side hobby thing that I wanted to kind of make my career. Mm -hmm. And I think I always felt like. Um, I felt like I wasn't good enough. Like I needed, I, I needed to be better because I didn't have the the degree or the the thing. You know, like all these intangible things. Mm -hmm. and so I think the the drive is is really important, and I think anybody can have that. Um, and, and in terms of print, it really, it's just about um, it. it for me, it was kind of like being an archaeologist, um, and sort of like getting getting my hands on these on these pieces, and then starting to really dissect them and pull yeah. them apart. Um, you know, getting getting a pica ruler and sort of measuring the point size of type, and trying to figure out, um, you know, what these typefaces are, and trying to understand these grids, the underlying skeletal structure of these pieces. It's like that's fundamentally those are the the building blocks of any design piece, right? Mm -hmm. And you can do that. You can dissect it piece and figure those out on your own and it certainly made me a better designer um, so I think collecting that idea of collecting I think the idea of, of dissecting and I think the thing that um, the thing that we look for in, in young designers for sure and the thing oddly Dave that stands out more than anything else is typography I know that sounds like um, very simple and 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 understated but I want to say that as loud as I can. I think I think having good typography skills, being able to set a justified paragraph um, elegantly, like I think you will go so much farther as a print designer, um, you know, with 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 really refined typography skills. Uh, and 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 to be honest, it's such a differentiator for for students coming out of school. Um, it, uh, portfolios that we see that have good type, they immediately immediately stand out. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, yeah, good type, uh, dissecting ephemera, and uh, and just being passionate about about print and 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 what you can do and and wanting to experiment. I love that you said dissecting, you know, things that are currently out there because that's one of my favorite things to do is to take a piece and and just break it down. What are the materials involved? What are the types of prints involved? What is the binding? Like, how did this become an object? What materials and what what information went to the printer in order for them to return this yes. item? You know, I love doing that. There's so much lesson in that and learning in that 
from an understanding of um, to a designer for an understanding of the materials and how does how do photos react on uncoated paper versus coated paper? And you'll seeing that and showing the differences. Uh, that's one of my favorite parts of, of, of teaching print. Totally, totally agree. I think this idea that like design is not magic, right? Like design, it, it's not, it's, it's, it's design, it's, it's work. Like you yeah. can figure it out. Uh, you can take it apart. You can mm -hmm. understand it. Um, it. It's, it's a very logical thing. You can be creative. Yeah. Creativity is its own aspect for sure. But the fundamentals of production, yeah, you can you can easily understand how something comes into being. Yeah, and just reverse engineering it all the way back to the file side. Like before you submitted the files, what do the layers look like? What is the what do the swatches panel look like? Like all the way back to that process um, is just super powerful to, to really teach how these objects come to life. And it, it's print, it's tangible, it's it, you gotta touch it. Imagine trying to sell your customer on using a, a, a light blue uncoated paper stock for their book. Like, oh, what's that like? If you have nothing to show right. for a sample that was, that was done using that process or something like that, that's really hard to sell. That's absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. It's just tangible. This is the game we're in. Um, Jason, this has been incredible chatting with you and diving into this project. I'm so glad we could align schedules and make this work. Um, before I let you go, tell people where they can learn more about you and the studio and everything else. Yeah, thanks so much, Dave. Honestly, it's, it's been a pleasure. Um, we are Polygraph. We're in Washington, D.C., polygraphcreative.com. Um, yeah, come check us out. Uh, we'll be here. Awesome. And guys, the links to um, their website and to the piece that we're talking about, we're going to put photos up on Instagram and down in the description of this podcast will also be the links to check out the website that uh, and other work that they've got cooking. Um, but Jason, this has been incredible. Thanks for the time. Dave, thank you so much. Have a good day. All right, everybody. That is the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you're digging what you're hearing here on the Print Design Podcast, please head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening and leave a rating and a review. And also there will be a bunch of links down in the description on where you can see photos of these projects also on our Instagram um, and also see what Jason and Polygraph are up to these days and what other work they are creating. Thanks so much and we'll see you next week.